Alrighty, so um, when I think of all this, uh, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. Uh, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by his Spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Jesus Christ. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Thanks, Luke. When I first read that, um, I looked at it and I thought, let's pray. How am I going to preach on that? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and sometimes it is mysterious, as Paul talks about here, Um, but it always speaks into our heart, and it always has um, the power to transform us. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at this part of your word today, that you would transform me, and that you would transform everyone who listens with the power of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, several years ago, uh, I was talking with my best friend from high school. Um, This is... Tim, would you come to my rescue? Do you mind? (laughs) The... uh, Yeah... So several years ago, I was talking with my best friend from high school. That's not my best friend from high school. (coughs) And uni. The one against the door is my best friend. No. Um, And uh, he's always been an atheist, and he still is. He's a a very faithful atheist. He he even belonged to the Australian Skeptics Society, which is sort of like church for the atheists. Um, And uh, he did that for a while. And one day we were hanging out. Uh, and he suddenly expressed his wonder over how an otherwise intelligent person like me, he was talking about me, um, could believe in a book full of fairy tales. He was, of course, referring to the Bible. Uh, This was not an unexpected statement, uh, but it was very direct, perhaps a bit more direct than usual. And many years before that uh, confrontation, I had quite a different encounter, uh, this time in a Bible study. 
We were studying one of Paul's letters and I think we were wrestling with what Paul means by wives submitting to their husbands or something like that. And one of the young women in the group, we were all young adults back then, uh, believe it or not, insisted that we should simply ignore Paul on this. Uh, He had no monopoly on the truth after all and since he merely reflected the culture he lived in, we were wasting our time trying to apply his ideas to ourselves. Uh, These two encounters that that I had over the years are actually not that unusual. They're not sort of exceptional encounters. If we try to share what Paul calls here the mystery of the gospel in Australia, we're likely to get a reaction like one of these. And if you're wondering what Paul means by mystery... He means something like uh, something that's been kept secret but is being revealed. Sort of like a murder mystery, right? If you think of Agatha Christie. So it's exactly the same, except it's the mystery of the gospel. So, next slide. Having problems sharing the gospel is, is hardly a new thing, though. Look at Paul's situation while he was writing to the Ephesians. In verse 1, he says, When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles. Now, here we find Paul writing from prison for the benefit of the Gentiles. But why was he a prisoner? Let's flash back to Acts chapter 22. If this was a movie, we'd sort of you know, change our colour grading or something. If it was an old movie, we'd sort of have weekly stuff. (laughs) Paul has just returned to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey and he visited the great temple of Herod. There some hostile Jews from Asia, modern-day Turkey, which is actually the area around which Ephesus um, was situated, They accused Paul of defiling the temple by bringing Gentiles into it. And he was then beaten up. Paul was beaten up until the Romans rescued him by taking him prisoner. Um, Sorry, I think I'm fighting with you, Tim. Uh, As Paul was being taken away, the Romans actually thought that he was uh, an Egyptian terrorist who had 4,000 assassins hidden in the desert. Um, he couldn't resist taking the chance to speak to the crowd. You can just imagine this guy, right? He's he's, um, he's been uh, arrested and he's accused of being an assassin, etc., etc. Sorry, Tim, I've I've sort of got control of it. So, yep. <laughs> I'll ask you to change the slide if it if it needs it. <clears throat> um, you can imagine Paul, you know, the Romans think he's this like crazed terrorist with 4,000 assassins. It actually says assassins in the text, um, hiding in the desert. And he says, oh, just give me a chance to, to talk to the people. And bizarrely, the Romans give him a chance. And Paul shares his testimony. It was going well. Everyone was listening respectfully until... and. This is where I'll let Dr. Luke, the author of Acts, describe it. Uh, If we jump into Paul's speech, uh, if we can do that. 
Could you change it, please, Tim? <laughs> this is why technology can be a problem. And I said, um, Lord, they themselves, I is Paul, of course, and I, Paul, said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, this is God, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now up to this word, they had listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. So Paul really was in in prison precisely because of his mission to the Gentiles. He was not merely using a figure of speech in his letter to the Ephesians. He ended up in prison because of the implacable opposition of the Jewish religious system. The idea that God could bypass the law and the temple and relate directly to the Gentiles was anathema to the religious Jew. Because, I guess, it it undermined their unique identity. Of course, if they'd known their scriptures better, they would have understood that this was God's purpose all along, as we've seen in what we've read so far of Ephesians. But it wasn't only the religious Jews who had it in for Paul. He faced another daunting foe, the Greco-Roman religious system. The Ephesian Christians were under no illusions about this because they themselves had witnessed a major riot against Paul's teachings in their own town. It was the reason Paul had left them after two years of ministry, years before. So let's do another flashback, this time to Acts 19. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way, it, which is what Christianity was called at this stage. Pretty cool. I think it would be cool if we still called Christianity the way. <coughs> um, it began with Demetrius, a silversmith, who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Remember, there's a big temple for Artemis in Ephesus, which you'd remember from last term's um, Bible study when we looked at the churches uh, that had the letters sent to them in Revelation, of which Ephesus was one. He kept many craftsmen busy. So this business guy was like a big business guy. He called them together along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm, I'm not just talking about that, I mean... I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. And we'll lose lots of money. At this, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Now it continues, and in the end, Paul quietly leaves Ephesus for the sake of the church. So this was Paul's experience. And yet he never stopped sharing the mystery of the gospel. Despite these two powerful and deadly forms of resistance, both the Jews and the the Gentiles, Paul spoke of the privilege of serving God by spreading this good news. And he encouraged the Ephesians who were given the same great privilege not to lose heart because of either Paul's sufferings or their own. Now, in a moment I want to unpack what it is that motivated Paul to persist in this great calling. But first I want to explore our situation. What opposition do we have in sharing the gospel? So... Now, I've been reading an excellent book by Sam Chan, a Sydney evangelist, called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. Uh, Sam has some telling observations about our situation here in Australia. Let me quote him. In the 1700s, as one of the features of the Western Enlightenment, German philosopher Immanuel Kant divided what we know into two realms of knowledge the noumenal and the phenomenal, well, phenomenal. Um, The noumenal is the realm of God. You've got to make jokes when you're talking about philosophy. Um, The noumenal is the realm of God, ethics and values. The phenomenal, on the other hand, is the realm of facts, evidence and data, phenomena. Kant's point wasn't to say that the noumenal realm doesn't exist, Kant believed in the existence of God, of ethics and values. Um, That's on the next slide. Um, But Kant's point was that we have no epistemological access to this realm. We can't verify that there is a God or that it's wrong to gamble or that capitalism is better than socialism. In contrast, in the phenomenal realm... We do have epistemological access. We can verify that 1 plus 1 equals 2, the sky is blue, that water boils at 100 degrees Celsius at sea level. Um, In the Western world, this noumenal phenomenal divide has led to another divide, a sacred-secular divide. Sacred statements belong in the noumenal realm. And the sacred should be discussed only in private space. Secular statements belong in the phenomenal realm. Secular statements are safe and can be discussed in the public space. That's why in the West we are told that we are free to believe anything we want about religion so long as it's in the privacy of our own homes. No one should dare impose their views of religion or values on others in public. Uh, 
As a result, we are what I, Sam, refer to as a de facto closed country. A closed country is usually is a country where you cannot openly engage in missionary or evangelistic activity. You cannot talk about your religion in public. You cannot proselytise. And while this is true in countries that are officially closed, it is also what happens in the West because of our cultural history. While we have the freedom to share our faith and evangelise as a practical matter, it's not culturally acceptable. Um, Now this, sorry I've got a little bit more to say. Now, this belief that sacred statements cannot be verified, which comes from the Enlightenment, it's still a part of, a major part of our culture. It's called modernism, and it's usually part of a worldview called secular materialism. And you'll be happy to know that we'll be looking at secular materialism in our Tuesday night Bible study in a few weeks. So, if you want to know how to share the gospel with people who hold that worldview, make sure you're at the Bible study or zoomed in. Now for today, I just want to point out that this is a major opponent to our mission, just as the Greco-Roman worldview was for Paul. Okay, So basically, we're not allowed to share our religious beliefs and we will be told to pull our heads in if we try. That's a barrier. And we have another major opponent in our context, as Paul did. This one is a newer worldview called postmodernism. Postmodernism is a reaction to, you guessed it, medievalism. No, modernism. Um, <laughs> in response to modernism's arrogant claim to know all about the material world, which you heard, you know, it's phenomenal, therefore you can know it. That's a pretty arrogant thing to say. And to, to the idea that we can and cannot determine um, all of these things related to physical reality. And also the idea in secular materialism that everything boils down to matter and energy. Everything is physical. Those ideas... Um, postmodernism reacts against and it claims that all knowledge is personal. You can only know something from your own perspective, from your own history or education or psychology or your spiritual views, etc. Because of that, your knowledge, your truth is unique to you. You can't insist that other people share your truth. Sam Chan also talks about this. The next slide. In this way, postmodernity recognises that knowledge is power. The one who gets to tell the story and impose it as a meta-narrative upon others, a meta-narrative is a, a big picture story that ties all the stories together, that underlies all the other stories. Whoever imposes this upon others is playing a power game. In postmodernity, there is deep mistrust of organised religion, government and other forms of established authority because that is exactly 
what authority figures do. They impose their meta-narrative upon all peoples and use the truth as a weapon to force people to conform to their meta-narrative. That's also why in postmodernity we employ a hermeneutic of suspicion upon a narrative or truth claim. We, recon- we deconstruct the narrative or truth claim by asking, what power game is this person playing? See, we don't say, how do you know that or is that true? We say, what power game is this person playing? So when a Christian shares the gospel, which is a story, a meta-narrative, sorry Tim, a truth claim, people, postmoderns see that as a power play. We're trying to impose our truth on them. We're trying to manipulate them, control them. So that's, a, that's as big a barrier to the gospel as secular materialism, right? After all, Jesus claims to be the truth for everyone, not just Christians. Now, if we're going to, of course, we are going to address this worldview in our Tuesday night Bible study as well in one of its newest forms, which is called critical theory, which for a little bit of excitement mixes some Marxism into postmodernism. It's really fun. So there's a second Tuesday night that you cannot miss if you want to if you want to stay awake, if you want to live a productive life. So, enough advertising. Like Paul, our culture presents us with two formidable opponents. So why should we share the gospel at all? Remember, we'll be talking about how on Tuesday nights. So why should we not lose heart? If we've been following our teaching series on Ephesians so far, you will have heard how Paul is constantly marvelling at God's incredible plans for us as Christians. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. From before creation, remember, we were chosen, adopted, redeemed, informed, made an inheritance, sealed and guaranteed. He granted us supernatural wisdom to live life well. He has saved us despite ourselves. And he's united a bitterly divided humanity into one people, as Christ's body on earth, the church, a community in which God himself chooses to dwell. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like some pretty amazingly good news to share. Think about it. People in Melbourne are hoping for good news like this. Five kilometre limit lifted. People in many villages and towns in developing countries are hoping for good news like this. Well, not that one. Yep. Yep, that one. What a safe to drink. And grade 12ers are looking for good news like this. You got a job. You got into uni. They're all pretty good news, right? But we've got good news like this. Let's see if that works. 
the all-powerful God loves you so much. He's chosen you to be his precious child, to live a perfectly healthy, joyful, fulfilling life with him and your brothers and sisters forever. Do you think that's worth sharing? Do you think that people already know this? Or is it still a mystery, still a secret for them? I think for most Australians, this would be news to them. It's still the mystery of the gospel. And Paul, I think, puts the icing on the cake by saying, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. In other words, the mystery we have to share, the mystery of the gospel that's good news on our lips, is so important and revolutionary that Satan and his armies are learning from us, the church, how God brings the best good out of the worst evil. And that best good? We're no longer mere creatures, mewling about trying to hurt one another in our pathetic and tragic rebellion. Instead, we're God's children, able to run into our dad's throne room, knowing that he's going to pop off the throne and crouch down and listen to us and help us and love us. The legend of the first marathon goes that Pheidippides, a Greek soldier with a really long name, ran non-stop and yeah, he ran he was he was he ran so fast that all his clothes fell off him from Marathon to Athens to deliver the good news of the defeat of the Persians. And he was he he just gave it everything so that when he got there he gave his news and dropped down dead. We have news of even greater importance and joy than Phaedipides could ever imagine. (laughs) Well, we drop dead before we give the good news and we're resurrected. We're new creatures. So because we're new creatures, we don't have to worry about dropping dead because God's given us eternal life that strengthens us to share this news. So how much, how much more effort should we expend to share the news that we have? Let's pray. Lord, it's, it's so hard for us. It's so easy to get distracted by all of the things in this world, all of the, the news, all of the, the stories, the, the, the luxuries, the, the, the beautiful things that you've made, 
food and, and, and cars. Oh, you didn't make cars. We made cars, but they're still beautiful. Um, just There's just so much to distract us from you and from the amazing good news that you have. But it doesn't mean that, that your good news is less important. And you've given us, as Paul tells us, you've given us the task of sharing that good news. So Lord, please impress upon our hearts and our minds the importance and the value of the gospel that we have, the secret that we can share, that you have made a way for us to come back to you, to be born again, to live forever in your presence as as your children. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Soften our hearts and, and, and loosen our lips with your news so that we can be your evangelists, your, your ambassadors in this world, regardless of the barriers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.